0: Welcome back to the podcast, y'all. I'm Adrielle, and today's message is titled The God Test, capital G-O-D. And yes, y'all already know I'm breaking it down, because who would I be (laughs) if I don't break the words down? So the message is revolving around Genesis chapter 22, verse 2. No, that's not a coincidence. If you have not heard my message on the numbers 222 and 222, please go hear that one after this, because we are in the year 22. And the things that I said in that message is what God is doing in us at this moment. And now he has a scripture for us in Genesis chapter 22, verse two. And this is when God takes Abraham through the God test, is what I like to call it. The G in God stands for go. The O stands for offer. And the D stands for do nothing. And you will see why in a minute. So I'm going to read Genesis chapter 22. I'm going to start at verse 1. And then I'm going to read until about verse... Hmm, I guess verse 12. Yeah, so I'll start at verse 1 and read until verse 12, all right? So it says, Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son, Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went up together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. I guess I'll read to verse 14. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket, he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Mm, Okay, so if we go back over this story, we can see how the God test comes to be. We can see how G-O in the letter D is broken up into three different phases. So the first thing God told Abraham was to go, which stands for the G. He said to go to the region of Moriah. And then he told him to offer. He said, sacrifice there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. And then right before he's getting ready to lay a hand on his son, Isaac, the Lord stops him and says, do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. So he's telling him to do nothing. So when we are going through the God test, we are to go where God tells us to go, offer up, sacrifice to him, make a commitment to him. And then do nothing. And of course, I'm getting ready to break this down for you. So what does it really mean to go when God tells us to go? It means to start walking. How do you walk? You walk blamelessly before the Lord. That's why in the Bible, you always hear God saying, walk blamelessly before me. Walk cautiously before me. So when he's saying go, he's saying, come on, walk with me and allow your walk to be candid. What does it mean to have a blameless walk with the Lord? It means to be transparent with Him. Don't hold anything back from Him. Let everything out in the open because you can trust Him. What does it mean to have a candid walk with the Lord? It means you need to be truthful and sincere. That's the definition of candid, to be truthful and sincere. But it also means to be ready, even when you're off guard. So if you ever hear the words, taking a candid photo, what does a candid photo mean? It means an off guard photo is something where you're not posing for it. That's how we're supposed to be with the Lord. We're supposed to be in his purity, in his goodwill, even when we're caught off guard. We're supposed to be displaying the character in the fruits of the spirit, even when we're not posing, even when we're not in front of people, even when we're not public, but also in our private time with the Lord. So our walk with him is supposed to be blameless and candid. And that's what it means when he says go. It means to leave what's familiar to you, what's comfortable to you for something better. It means to never look back. And then you have to ask yourself, okay, well, God is telling me to go just like He told Abraham, but He at least told Abraham where to go. He told Abraham to go to the land of Moriah. Okay, well, God is telling you to go somewhere too. God is sending you to the land of no lack, overflow, joy, peace, prosperity, fearlessness, and fulfillment. He's sending you to the land of, I am enough. To the place of, well done, my good and faithful servant. To the mindset of, what will bring God the most glory? To the heart posture of, I genuinely love the Lord. I genuinely love myself and God's people. He's sending you to the appetite of, my only food is to do the will of he who sent me. He's sending you to the attitude of whether I'm hated by many and loved by a few, I choose to stand and agree with God. This is the land he's sending you to. But a lot of us get lost along the way. So you have to ask yourself, why am I getting lost on the journey to my promised land? Why am I getting lost? well are you forgetting your identity or your purpose are you majorly focusing on the external always contemplating on the many ways that you don't measure up are you trying to navigate this vehicle all by yourself or at least mostly on your own without using your gps your godly positioning system That's a little freebie that's actually in my book. And I just put that in there for y'all. Y'all welcome. Are you trying to navigate this, this journey without your GPS? He's the one who positions you. You trying to navigate it on your own means you're leaving little room for Jesus to step in. And so that's leading you to forever feeling like you're back at square one. You're turning down the wrong roads, You're encountering dead ends galore, always running into a dead end. Are you focusing on the applause or approval of people or the lack thereof? And if you are, get a handle on this quickly because remember one day you will stand before God and guess who won't be there? Everyone you were living to please. Even if that person was just you, just you living to please you and acting out of selfishness. Remember that one day you will be up there by yourself facing God, and no one will be around. And He will ask you Did you use your GPS? Did you stand during the God test? And so as you're on the journey and you understand the go part of this test, now you're at the offering. You're at the O, G-O. And this is when you're presenting yourself as a holy and acceptable sacrifice, offering up your mind, your body, your soul, and your spirit as a living sacrifice to please God. And the Bible says that this is what true worship really is. See, Abraham offered up the one thing that he loved the most, his son. That's what he prayed for. He said, God, I mean, I have everything. I'm rich. I, you know, I I got sons that, you know, people I call sons, but I don't have a proper heir taking over my name. I haven't had my seed physically birthed so please give me a son and God did what he multiplied his seed and so with the Lord asking for Abraham to sacrifice Isaac that was a severe test that was a severe God test that he had to go through that was the one thing he asked God for and now God is saying hey I want it back And so sometimes God will ask you to offer up things that you have a deep attachment to. But you got to always remember that he will provide. If he's telling you to offer up something, he's going to give you something back in its place. And it's going to be better than the first thing. Now, obviously, in Abraham's case, he got Isaac back. But I mean, in your case, if God is asking for you to sacrifice something, if he's asking you to offer something up, on the plate he's going to replace it he's going to extend it he's going to multiply it because see not only did Abraham get Isaac back but it's because he passed the God test that God said at the end of that chapter now that I've seen that you fear the Lord I'm getting ready to multiply your descendants as numerous as the sand on the shore So he got back his son along with multiple generations that all came from his seed. So God is always going to outdo whatever he asks you to give up. Always remember that he's a good father. He's a good father now. He knows what he's doing and he's not here to hurt you. And so true worship is offering yourself as a living sacrifice to please God. This points to, you know, what we put in our bodies and what we put on our bodies. You should always ask the question, is what I'm wearing glorifying God? Is what I'm eating or taking in, you know, whether or not that's drugs or any type of substances, is this glorifying God? And if it's not, do away with it because it's not true worship. Offer it up so God can do away with that and give you something better. And you also need to be cautious of what your sexual relations involve. Be cautious of who you sleeping with. Everybody has a spirit attached to them. Not every spirit is good. Be cautious because once you sleep with somebody, y'all are yoked. And if that spirit doesn't align with your spirit, chances are your spirit is going to be at risk. So be mindful of that when it comes to sexual relations as well. And in this moment of offering, also know that the opposite of offer is withdrawal or refusal. You refusing to serve God, but offering yourself up to to another master instead. And the Bible says we can't serve two masters. You're going to hate one and love the other. And so if you're refusing to offer up to God, that means you're offering yourself up to something else. And this could be a thing or a person. And what's so cool about this is that the opposite of offer is withdrawal or refusal or withholding. And that's in the dictionary. But that goes right back to the Bible scripture that we just read. The Lord says, because you have done this and you have not withheld your son, I will surely bless you. And so God is even showing us what the opposite of offering is. When we don't offer up what God is asking us to offer up, that means we're withholding it. And if we don't withhold it and we offer it, he will surely bless us. But if we do the opposite, we are on our own. So you have to think, Okay, do I want to withdraw from the Lord or do I want to offer myself up to the Lord? Offering yourself also means burning your flesh. This means burning off your desires, your selfishness, via the process of immolation. I-M-M-O-L-A-T-I-O-N. An immolation in the dictionary means to kill or to offer as a sacrifice, especially by burning. Wow, does this completely magnify the scriptures that we just read Abraham was to kill and offer Isaac as a sacrifice by burning and so we have some Isaacs in our life that God is asking us to offer as a sacrifice by burning this means being tried in the fire as if we were silver tried and refined And silver is held in the middle of the fire, where the flames are the hottest, as to burn away all the impurities. So God is asking us, can he help us burn away the impurities through this God test? See, God holds us in such a hot spot so that he can refine us. It hurts, it sucks, but we're being refined. And there is the story of a woman who was sitting and watching a silversmith refine silver one day. And as she watched him, she had questions about the refining process, like we all would. And she said, do you really have to sit there the entire time that the silver is being refined? And he spoke to her and he said, yeah, but not only do I have to sit here, the whole time, but I have to keep my eyes on it the entire time it's in the fire. Because if the silver is left a moment too long in the flames, it would be destroyed. My God, God is the silversmith of our lives. He is the giver of the God test and he's watching us in the fire, but he has a close eye on us. And he's not going to let us be destroyed. He's going to take us out right at the perfect time. That's why Abraham was getting ready to lay a hand on Isaac. And God was watching the entire time. And at the right time, like right before Abraham was coming down on his son, the Lord stopped him and said, Abraham, Abraham. He yelled his name twice and there's exclamation points. He yelled because Abraham was that close to sacrificing Isaac. And so he was watching Abraham in the fire. He had a close watch on him and at the right time he stopped him because he had been refined. And so going back to the story, so the woman sat there in silence after he had told her this and she was just sitting there. Then she was like, well, how do you know when the silver is fully refined? The man smiled and said to her, oh, that's easy when I see my image in it. (laughs) Come on, come on. Oh, that's easy when I can see my image in it. We will go through the fire, y'all. Fiery trials. We will be tested, but God is only testing us so that he can refine us and the fire will be shut off when he can see his image in us. When we look like God, when we have adapted his characteristics, when we are walking out the fruits of the Spirit when he doesn't have to get on us about every little thing and chastise us, when we just get to a moment in our walk with him where we just get it, where we're no longer living off of spiritual milk, but we're eating the meat of God's word and we're mature in the faith. That's when the fire is over. That's when the testing is done but we have to offer ourselves to the Lord in order for the refining process to take place because he's not gonna force us and take us there himself. Abraham took his sacrifice to the altar. God didn't steal Isaac in the middle of the night, y'all. He could have stolen Isaac. If he really wanted Isaac to die, he could have taken him, but he wanted to see if Abraham was going to obey. Will we take our Isaacs to the altar? Will we offer and obey the things that we love, the things that we have built a connection to that God is saying, hey, can can I take this on? Can, can I kind of feel myself in this place? Do you mind? Will we tell him yes? Will we have unquestioning obedience? Abraham didn't even question God about this. This is his son, y'all. He he asked no questions. He asked no questions. I know we've talked about questions before, where we're supposed to be asking questions, but that mostly points to what's happening in this world, asking questions about that about what society is saying is normal. But when it comes to God, we need to be praising him more than we're questioning him. Because sometimes things aren't going to make sense. It just isn't. And we just have to know how to obey and offer ourselves anyway. Because it's a lot that we won't understand right away. That's why Jesus says, you know, right now you don't understand, but soon you will. Right now y'all don't understand, but soon you will. And so you can't really ask too many questions because even if God gave you the answers, you may not be in a place to be able to receive whatever he tells you. And that's why the refining process has to step in. 1 Peter 1 and 6 through 8 tells us, you have been grieved by various trials so the genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold, though it is tested by fire, will praise, honor, and glorify Christ, whom you have not seen, but you love nevertheless. And so verse nine tells us that we'll know when we've reached the end game of our faith, when we can survive the fiery trials through praise and worship. When you can start thanking God for the fire, which is so difficult to do and takes so much refining to be able to master and 1st Peter 4 and 12 through 13 says we shouldn't think it strange when we are tried by fire we shall learn to rejoice to the extent that we share Christ's suffering because when his glory is revealed you will be filled with exceedingly great joy So then you're probably thinking, well, how in the world am I supposed to rejoice in the surroundings of fiery trials, Adriel? Like, what sense does that even make? You know what? I get you. Well, the definition, one of the definitions of rejoice is to cause joy to come about, to cause it to come about, to welcome it, which means it's not going to be your natural human emotion to be glad that you're being tested. So don't think it will. Naturally, you're going to be pissed off. You're going to be let down. You're going to be irritated, depressed, and resentful. And God knows this. It wouldn't be called a testing if it wasn't going to challenge you to a major extent and make you want to flip the switch on somebody. That test is there to stretch you, transform you, so that God can use you. The definition of test is a procedure intended to establish the quality, performance, or reliability of something, especially before it is taken into widespread use. This is The definition of God test. He needs to establish your quality. What does that mean? It means to investigate your desires, your motives, your morals. He needs to check your performance. He wants to take a look at your endurance level and see how well you hold up in the fire to determine whether or not you can handle the call. And he needs to study your reliability will he or she trust me or push me away because oftentimes it's not god who moved when he seems far away it's you so he wants to see will this person trust me or will they push me away and if a regular test tests that are taken in this world, if they are given to see how much you know, a worldly test is given to measure your carnal mind. Well, the God test is given to measure your Bible knowledge and to help you work some stuff out in yourself, pull some strings apart and set things into perspective. You know, after I studied the word vigorously, when God told me to and I had given my life over to him. He put me through the God test where just like Jesus says, I could count the bones and muscles in my body because everything ripped apart inside of me and I was devastated. I mean, y'all, there was a clear, open space, a thick line of just space going from the top of my abdomen to the bottom of my pelvis because the pelvis had split, the abdomen had split. There were things on the inside of me that he had to work out on a deeper level. And initially, I wasn't going to dare praise God. I wasn't about to sit here and glory in my suffering. Like what? What he think this was? You know what I'm saying? I was like, "Mm -mm, Lord, this ain't it. This this ain't it. There has to be another way. (laughs) But it's because my heart was broken. But I'm telling you, that is what I needed. And not only has he healed my broken heart, but I feel closer to Jesus than ever before. I can now understand a little bit of the pain he could have possibly suffered from at the crucifixion. Because when I tell you my feet and legs were so swollen every single day and night, where Jace was just compressing every blood vessel and nerve, and my husband would have to massage my feet and my legs on a nightly basis so that I could at least try to get some sleep, like a little bit of sleep. And you know, I had to sleep sitting up, which was horrendous, but he needed to get some of that fluid out of my lower extremity so I can get a little bit more sleep. And I'm telling you, it was as if someone was stabbing me with nails as he massaged the fluid buildup away because it hurt that badly and this went on for about 10 months straight or even a little bit longer than that because even after birth I suffered with the swelling and the broken bones and muscles and when I tell you the only thing that got me through was thinking about how my savior's experience at the crucifixion was and I would say out loud Jesus went through worse Jesus went through worse if he did it I can do it if he did it I can do it I was saying that the entire time the excruciating showers that I had to take in baths, the excruciating walking from back and forth to the bathroom. I mean, everything was excruciating. And the only thing that was getting me through was thinking about how much more pain Jesus suffered from than I'm suffering from at this moment. And it brought me closer to him because I kept thinking like, man, I can, I can do this because he's with me. And he went through worse. (laughs) I'm telling y'all, that is what kept me stable. Because I was getting ready to lose it. I was getting ready to lose it, y'all. No lie. Being in constant pain like that every day. Can you imagine? Excruciating pain that you can't even explain. Mm -mm. You have to look for supernatural encouragement. And Jesus was that for me. And even though I was still mad about it, (laughs) I was still mad. Even though I was mad, I was able to grab some purpose from it. Sharing in the suffering with Christ meant that I would soon share in his glory and in that joy. And now when I look back on that experience, I think about how strong I am and how God never left my side. Because I'm 1000% certain that no one else could have went through what I went through. Just like I'm 1000% certain that people couldn't have gone through the things that you have gone through. We are all given our own personal trials that others aren't going to understand. They are unique God tests given to his people. Okay, and so the last part of the God test is the D, the do nothing God tells Abraham not to lay a hand on the boy. I got this, do nothing. And so Philippians 2 and 3 says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. See, sometimes we can become so self-absorbed in the middle of a God test that we forget it's not all about us. It's not all about making life feel good for us. God's job description is not to make us feel good every second. And it's not to baby us. It's for him to be God. That's it. And as God, he has every right to test his people for our good and his glory so that he can preserve us as we persevere. He will preserve us as we persevere. Write that down. That's so good. (laughs) And a key portion of the God test is resting, knowing that God has everything under control. Because one thing Abraham said to his people that he brought up, to the land of Moriah with the son when he was getting ready to sacrifice Isaac. He told them, y'all stay here. Me and the boy is getting ready to go worship and we'll be back. That's a key scripture. God just told him to sacrifice Isaac. Isaac was going to be dead. So why would Abraham say me and the boy will be back? It's because he knew that God had everything under control and that's why he was able to rest. He did nothing because he knew God would provide. So you have to know that God will provide and your only job sometimes is to rest in that. And one thing I do when it comes to resting and reminding me that God is good is I go outside and look up at the trees moving in the wind I listen to the birds chirping. I I look at the right now it's fall. So you can look at the leaves falling off the tree. And I think about how good God is that he put nature on a cycle, that nature understands the changes in seasons and nature isn't recoiled by the winter coming or the fall coming. It doesn't get scared and say, oh, I can't be all that I'm supposed to be because it's no longer summer, but no, it prepares for the next season. The birds prepare for the next season. I mean, we have to understand that God got everything under control. If we look at Job 38, God says, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Who laid its cornerstone? Who shut up the sea behind the doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness, when I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place, the earth takes shape like clay under a seal. Its features stand out like those of a garment. And so we have to think about this, that that's all science that God is talking about right there. He did specifically set limits for every single thing. And I talked a bit about this in my book, The Activated Word, but you got to understand God is the God of science. And if he's the God of science, as vast and impressive science is, if you actually sit there and just look up some scientific things, that will show you that if god can do all of that he knows how to put you through a god test and you come out all right he knows exactly how much refining that you need before you look like him before you truly look like him so you need to learn how to lay down sit down and look up look ahead never look back i have a tattoo on my chest that says never look back that I got when I was 18 and I have not lived out the meaning of that tattoo until this season of my life you know so um I know what God means when he's saying don't look back if you're gonna look back just look back over all the times i brought you through but don't look back and be so sentimental about the past to the point where you're like man I wish things were as good as they were in the past no think about what God is doing right now Praise him for what's happening. Praise him for what's getting ready to happen. And Jesus promises us that as we seek to glorify God, our needs will be met. I mean, just what if praise and worship and rest were the only things that we've failed to do in fiery trials, but yet they were the answer key to the God test? What if those three things were the only answer to the test, but we're failing to do so, we're failing to praise, we're failing to worship, we're we're failing to offer up everything to God and let him do something with it. Praise, worship, rest. Go, offer, do nothing. It's the exact same thing. So you have to start learning how to vomit God's word in in the middle of your test. Like, I know God said that he doesn't have plans to harm me, but he has plans to prosper me. Y'all, when I tell you when I was in the middle of designing the activated word and I had written that big old thick book by myself and did all of the research and, you know, God just put his glory through me inside of that book and I was the one who designed it. When I tell you I was so over it. I had gotten to the cover in the first cover that I did. My husband and I didn't like it. The second one I did, we didn't like it. And I'm like, God, I can't do this. I need help. I can't do this. My, my baby son was home with me and he was vomiting. His stomach was hurting. He was in pain. He was crying. He was huge because he had a stomach issue. And I'm sitting here trying to do all of this by myself, do the book, design the book, write the book and take care of the baby. And I had gotten to a point where I'm like, and y'all, I had tried every single formula on the market for my baby and nothing was working. Every single thing was hurting his stomach. I even tried plant-based milk from every single company. We tried goat milk. We tried my milk, nothing was working. His stomach was still in pain medicines weren't working nothing he just it was a stage that he had to get through and I had to deal with him being in pain which crushed my heart and that meant I was over my head in anguish and I just cried out to God one day as he had you know I did everything I could to prevent him from throwing up and then he threw up again and I'm like oh my gosh lord I know you don't have plans to harm me, but to prosper me, plans to give me hope and a future. Help me with this cover, help me with my son. And when I say that very night, I did the cover over and I started simple. He told me, he says, simple sales. And I started simple with just the words. And then I took that simplicity And I just overlaid the letters. I overlaid each letter of the word activated. And then I put a nice fire on the top of the book. And that was it. That was the one. And I'm telling you, God will always come through. And of course, my baby has gotten past the whole stomach issue and he's doing fine now. And God is just good, y'all. God is good. I, I, um, I can't lie on him. He knows what he's doing. He knows what he is doing. If we would just go when he tells us to go, if we would just offer and if we would just rest, do nothing. Like silver, we are being refined and tried by the fire, but the test will come to a halt when the silversmith, which is God, can look at us and say, I see my image. And so I just want to close this out with a prayer. Lord, thank you so much that we are being refined as silver. Thank you that the fiery trials are not here to harm us. They are not here to destroy us. They are not here to stop us, but they are here to preserve us. They are here to open our lives up to bigger and better. They are here to allow the blessings to rush in like water down a waterfall. And God, we thank you for everything you are doing in us right now. And we ask that as we are in these fiery trials, we ask that you show yourself strong, God. Undo the strings that are tied up inside of us. Allow things to fall by the wayside. Allow us to organize some stuff in our minds and in our hearts. Allow us to see us the way you want us to see us as being in the image of God. And Lord, we will bless you, we will honor you, and we will forever praise your name. We love you so much. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I love y'all so much. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. And if you found this helpful, please do not hesitate to leave a review on the Apple platform. The link is in the description of this title. And if you don't have an Apple phone, then please rate the podcast on the home screen. I am here to encourage and to help build you up, to empower you as a believer in the times that we are living in, where we need all the empowerment that we can get. I will be back on Sunday for... Another seven minutes in heaven, but until then, stay red.